0: You are listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. While I'm figuring out what we're going to do, and while I'm deciding if I need to put my glasses on or not, turn to your Bibles in 2 Peter to 2 Peter 1.4 and we are in a series called hope for humanity and a big piece of the hope for humanity is actually you and i want to get ahead of myself cuz I, I do have a couple good notes maybe one or two but sometimes we we become so sedentary in the way that we approach the activation of our faith that we're waiting for god to do something when he's waiting for us to do something and so we pray for things like revival. I love revival. I've seen it, I've experienced it firsthand. i I am where I am because of revival. and for me, I've been in so many meetings with leaders where leaders try to define what revival is, and and literally every meeting, you know we have these sort of theological think tanks uh, I don't know how else to describe it, and then people you know we take these concepts of. Of things that we've seen or things that have happened and we, we try to define it because we want to, I mean the, the idea is we want to understand but the reality is that as soon as we think we understand something God just changes the game you know we're per- playing you know Parcheesi but then he starts playing backgammon I don't know, where did that come from Parcheesi? I don't, I've not seen that like 30 years, I don't even know what it is, it just came to mind who knows what Parcheesi is yeah, everybody like over 50. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I just played it last night, you know. I'm getting distracted by myself already. I'm, I'm trying to stay home. So we, we do want to press for understanding, but sometimes we're just defining things that, that you know, the scripture says the depths of the, the riches of the wisdom of God are unsearchable, but we're still tasked to search. We're still tasked to know more. This is why you know, Moses, we just sang the song, Show Me Your Glory. This is coming out of Moses calling upon God to show me your glory. And this is after he parted the Red Sea. This is after they've been following the the cloud by day, the fire by night. They had been seeing there's manna just supernaturally appearing overnight or in the morning, and they get to eat of the manna of heaven every single day. They'd seen signs and wonders. They'd seen him move. They'd seen all of this stuff, And still he said, show me your glory that I might know your ways. Because Moses understood that there was so much more of God to lay hold of than what he had experienced up until that time. It's probably my favorite prayer in all of scripture. I say that and then I'll say, well, John 17 is or... But in my life... It is probably the number one prayer that I prayed over the last 30 years. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. And I've had moments where, you know, in the church that I was in, in revival, I would come into the church building when no one else was there and I would just pace back and forth in the altar area and I would for hours just say, God, show me your glory. I wanna see your face, show me your glory, show me your glory. There was one particular day that, you know, I don't know how long I spent, but his presence came in so strong, I was frozen in my place and, and his, the awe of his glory was so evident that I was afraid to open my eyes. Because the, I was afraid that the very thing that I've been asking for, the thing that I've been leaning in for, the thing that I wanted to lay hold of to, to actually see his face, to, to reach out and touch the skin of his face, I was afraid that if I opened my eyes, he might actually be there and that I didn't know what was gonna happen after that. And people will write me and say, well, well you shouldn't ask to see his face because no man can see the face of God and live. And, and again, I'm okay with that. If the last thing that I see in this natural body is his face and then I just melt like wax or whatever might happen. I'm okay. That's a pretty good way to go out. I'll just go from glory to glory, literally. And I do have a, you know, pretty decent life insurance policy so my family will be taken care of. And then, you know, Riley for the rest of his life will be able to say, "Yeah, my dad saw the face of God and well, he died, but it was pretty cool." <laughs> he made the news. But there's something in the light of his face that reveals to you who you are. And this is why people make the decision to either pursue him or to not. Because the light of his face will show you who you are in that moment. But you have to understand that in that process of illumination, his grace is still sufficient for you. So you need not fear Because I always go back to, and I you know, I had to speak at the funeral this week for Paula Mariah's baby. And that's a hard thing. But there's such a beauty in the breaking. There's such a grace filled oil that gets poured out in moments like that. And so I'm in this. Armenian Orthodox Apostolic Church. Ornate, beautiful, gorgeous, really connected with the Reverend Father there. I think he was pretty nervous about me at first. He had a phone call and he was asking me some questions and I'm, I'm thinking, "Yeah, this guy's nervous. I'm, you know, this, this guy. And I, I walked in and he's like, do you want to wear vestments? I mean, I was wearing a suit. Like, that's as much vestment as I get. But I... I stood there, I was like, man, God wants to meet people in the place of their pain. But when you're in pain, sometimes the last place you want to be met in is in that pain. And I, I brought up again the, the story of the woman caught in adultery. It, to me, it's, it's like the, the best evangelistic story in the New Testament because you've got this woman who's being used as a pawn by the lifeless religious leaders of the day and they're trying to entrap Jesus and so they take this woman and they kind of throw her at the feet of Jesus and they say, this woman's caught in adultery. We know what the law says, what do you say? Well, the law says, you know, if you're caught in adultery, you get stoned and not like stoned, like stoned. Pick up a stone and everybody's throwing stones until you are no more. And so she's there thinking, this is the end. And we have some scholars and usually less than scholars that debate, you know, well, did she really commit adultery? We don't know. We just know that by the word, she was caught in adultery and now she's before the feet of Jesus. And, and he exemplifies to me how to approach debate. There are people that build their whole evangelistic effort through debate. And I'm okay with apologetics. I just, that's just not how I live day to day because very few people will come into the kingdom through rational thinking, but many will come into the kingdom through an encounter. And then we're called to disciple them on the back end. I feel like sometimes we're trying really hard to disciple people before they ever know him. And so we've created a structure of Christianity that, that is devalued to the level of intellectual assent rather than a, a people who rise up in life because they've come into an encounter with the living God, the word who actually became flesh and walked among us. So they try to bring Jesus into this intellectual debate based on the law, and he doodles in the sand. I'd love to do that. Someone tries to trap me in some debate about the existence of God and I just start writing on the ground with my finger. I don't know what he wrote. Nobody knows what he wrote. I'd really like to, but it's probably good that I don't. Because I'm not sure how responsible I would be with the level of revelation knowledge that he had about people. And then he says, you who are without sin cast the first stone. But when Jesus says that, I've heard people say that. I have. I've heard people say that. But when Jesus says it, it carries a certain level of weight. It carries a certain level of authority. Because he's not saying it to stick it to the man, he's saying it out of love and compassion for this woman who's being used as a pawn. And so one by one, they walk away. And then he looks down at the woman and he says, Where are your accusers? Where are those who condemn you? Imagine this woman weeping, expecting that she has come to the end of her life. She looks up and she says, perhaps for the very first time in her life, there are none. And then Jesus says something that, I don't know, I think most of the church I don't want to say most. I mean, a lot of the church, we don't get. She says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now we think. And I'm going to make an assertion here that is still under debate but it's where I live and it's where I lean not because of this particular scripture but because of this trajectory of scripture from Genesis to Revelation where we see this common theme so we think that Jesus saves her from a moment and then invites her into a behavioral modification program and tells her without any other additional help okay I don't condemn you now go work really hard to sin no more and that's the way I grew up with that scripture. That's the way I grew up thinking about that scripture. It's the way that I grew up being taught. But when we look at scriptures like where God speaks to Abram at 90 years old and says, walk before me and be blameless. We we analyze the Hebrew. When you get into the, the original language here in the Greek, you could read it this way and you really can read it this way. It is in the language. Though so it's not outside the realm of comprehension. It's just out the realm of our rational thought because we've lived in a system of thinking for so long. What Jesus is saying is neither do I condemn you and now that you have come into contact with me. Now that you have beheld my face, now that you have experienced my glory, my nature is overtaking your nature right now. So that as you rise to your feet, free from the condemnation of man, you will leave this place and you will be completely freed from the sin lifestyle that you lived before. Not because of who you are or what you've done, but because you have met the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are no longer identified by who you are. You are identified by who I am. And isn't that the message of the cross? I get a little cantankerous sometimes when so many people say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you were a sinner. Now you're a son. And it doesn't mean that you don't still make mistakes, but you don't identify yourself by the man that is dead in you. You don't identify by the life that was crucified on the cross with Jesus and now you are resurrected in him. The old man is dead. He has made all things new. So you'll never hear me saying, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You'll never hear me say if somebody's asking me how I'm doing. Well, better than I deserve. Because I understand that I've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His light. I understand Romans eight feet, 8.15 where I've been given the spirit of adoption, the spirit of belonging, that I am in a royal household now. And that I am no longer identified by past behaviors. I'm identified by the work of the cross. And not just the work of a cross. I'm identified by a tomb that is still empty to this day. I'm identified to the by the Jesus of Revelation 4 who is enthroned in majesty and glory and light. And the Apostle Paul in the Bible says, I'm seated in heavenly places with him in that space of his throne that explodes into thunders and lightnings because nothing created can contain the glory of God. It will come out one way or another. This is why I want you to sing, show me your glory. I don't care if you understand it, I don't care if you mean it, but when the words come out of your mouth, the Holy Spirit will cash in on the words that you say. I've experienced it. Man, I've said prayers that I didn't understand. I've su- sung songs that I didn't mean, and I've watched the Holy Spirit come in and say, oh, remember when you prayed that? Remember when you sang that? Remember when you came before me? You didn't even know you were before me. You were just going through the motions, but you said it, but you prayed it, so here I am, fire, fall down on a we pray, and then the fire comes, and you're like, what's going on? Holy Spirit's like, you asked for the fire, Now, I'm going to refine you. Revival is amazing. I love revival. But to me, revival is a picture of what God does sovereignly in one moment so that we will do it with intention in the next. Because a good father will always take his hands off the handlebars at some point because he wants you to ride the bike. So this week we're... He's laughing because I just hit the microphone. Anyway, we had a discussion about that before church today. We're continuing along this series, and last week we started a message called The Story of You. So this is the story of you too. It's like Toy Story, but you're you're the toy. (laughs) The question I have for you is, do you really want to know who you are? I love, you know, this whole passage of scripture in Peter because it begins with his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness according to our knowledge of him in verse three. It's the greatest, well, I don't want to say the greatest. It's one of the the great excuse breakers in the Bible. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've I've heard people say, well, I just can't do it. I can't, and how many times I've said that. There were days in my life where I just wept before the Lord. And I was like, I just can't do this anymore. I can't do it. And then he comes back and says, yeah, but my divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness, according to your knowledge of me. You did come to know me. Therefore, you have my divine power. So it's not an issue that you can't do it. You just won't do it. See, God is kind, but he's not always nice. By one of my favorite Don Potter quotes the whole thing on, you know, God's not nice. He's kind, but he's not nice because nice means, as a matter of fact, I, I, I talked about this a couple years ago. We put it on a, an Instagram reel and man, did, did the religious police come out on that one. And then, you know, the atheist police and, you know, and they, it's great. You know, when you get negative stuff on social media, I don't know what it is, but it just boosts the algorithm. You know, there could be like 200 people that watch a video and then all of a sudden it's like 15,000 people. It's like 18, 20,000 people because you got all these people like coming at you and criticizing you. Like, oh yeah, God's not nice, real good man. Like he's, he's not. He's ruthless against the flesh. I was on a tour bus with a band in the late 90s and the drummer of the band asked me, is God safe? And I looked at him and said, not for you. Because I knew what he was doing. Actually, I didn't even really know what he was doing. He told me later. Then I understood why he was asking that question. He had grown up with a knowledge of God, but he was a prodigal. He had completely walked away. He, he, it wasn't like he slipped up. He actually took on the identity of sin and lived out that lifestyle. It's it a different thing. God is not safe for our flesh, but man, for our eternal being, it's the only place to be is in his heart. Do you really want to know who you are? You will find that in the light of his glory. And that can be a scary thing, but on the other side of that, there is transformation. This is why Paul is teaching the church in Corinth that he will transform you from one level of glory to another level of glory. It never ends. He's always continuing this process of regenerating, continuing this process of sanctification, catching you up to the reality of what is in your spirit. This perfectly regenerated temple of the living God within you so you'd have to go back and and listen last week if you missed it but we discovered we declared who am I well by definition I am blessed somebody say I am blessed I am am fruitful say I am fruitful fruitful. just say it after me I am abundant I abundant. I I am an overcomer and I am a leader That's pretty good. I thought that one was going to get a little quieter. Dr. Miles Monroe would make this assertion when he was still alive that everyone is a leader. We all lead someone, lead something at some point in time wherever we are in our station of life. I've seen homeless people that are leaders. You are a leader. You are called, you are designed to be a leader. And sometimes the circumstances of life will come against us, we will feel inhibited. We will feel like we can't rise up to a standard that maybe someone else set, but he didn't set for you. And so we shrink back. We, in the name of humility, we slip into timidity. And we think we're being humble, but we're actually being timid. And then we talk about Rahab, the Old Testament, She lives in Jericho and the armies of Israel are coming and she understands what God is doing with the people of God. She's a prostitute. She's a hooker. That's her profession. She's a woman in that culture. She's a prostitute. She's Canaanite. Talk about being underprivileged. Talk talk about being under the gun. There's no way that this woman should be blessed highly favored but she heard what God had done declared what he was going to do and positioned herself to be a tool for God's victory and from the womb from the bloodline of a prostitute we find God choosing a line from which he can birth Messiah if he can do that Through a prostitute, what can he do with you? What can he birth from your life? What can he release from you? He can use the foolish things to confound the wise. Look, it's not the way that we would choose to do it. We wouldn't look at that situation and say, oh my gosh, that's the line that Jesus is going to come from. We would choose something else. This is why when we, we try to define things, we try to define God He looks at us and he says, that's cute. Now I'm going to do it completely different the next time. And it's interesting. I'm I'm, I'm hearing reports day after day after day of what was prophesied even in the late 90s that this next revival... It's not going to be a locational thing. It's not going to be like this nuclear bomb that explodes in a city and people come from all around the world to go to that city. Look, that may happen, but what I'm hearing is a little leaven leavening the whole bread. People getting saved. I was in a business. I've been, I've been consulting for a business in another city. And just three weeks ago, five young men between the ages of 18 and 30 or 19 and 30 received Jesus. And I wasn't even there. But sometimes just by you being there, you start to till the ground. You start to dig a well so that when you leave, people start to drink from it. Don't underestimate the power of your feet. Where you go, I'm telling you, wherever I go, I reach out my hand. Sometimes I do it physically. Sometimes I'm more timid. I'm like, you know. But I say, and a lot of times I say it out loud, whether I say it with my normal voice or I whisper it, the kingdom of heaven is at hand because i understand that when i go into a place even when i it, i leave the wake of his glory and his revelation in that place why because i attach faith to my feet and sometimes i do it cognitively and sometimes it's just because it's the lifestyle that i live because you know what i wake up tired and cranky too and there are days I don't want to get up and drive to another city. There are days that I don't want to get up and come and hang out with a bunch of people on a Sunday morning. I don't listen to Stephen Furtick. I don't listen to people very much because I get distracted. If I listen to a lot of messages, I start getting distracted by what other people are saying. It's just the way that it works for me. But he had some short video, and he, he was talking about this day this Sunday, like it was, I think, I think it was a Sunday night service or something. And he was like, I just, I really didn't want to go. I really didn't want to go. And I was like, oh, I got you, brother. I understand what that's like. You know, I can, I, you know, I get an autopilot when I'm functioning in the gift, but sometimes when I wake up, like this morning, man, I was dragging. I don't know what was in that brisket. <laughs> in that carrot cake. Maybe it was the the highly contested cornhole game that I participated in. Should have won. It was Debbie. I just, I can only carry her so much on my back. She's not in here. I can say what I want. I checked. Sometimes I tell stories and then I see her head poke around the corner. I'm like, ugh. 2 Peter 1.4 says this. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, I like the New American Standard. I do. I like the pre-95 update better than the 95 update. I still got one. But I struggle with this translation. And I feel like sometimes in our intellectual pursuit of understanding the word, we slip into timidity, again, in the name of humility, because when we read the language, it doesn't fit our understanding. That often comes from tradition As opposed to revelation. So this word for partaker in the Greek, in the classical Greek, it would be akin to being a business partner with someone, being a legal partner with someone. In the Hellenistic texts, it would it it described the invitation from the gods to come and be companions with them and sit at their table and dine, and so there are translations that will say "participators" in the divine nature, but you know, for example, the, the New American Center, the ESV, will say "partakers." There's a difference between partaking of something than as opposed to participating in something. When we receive communion, it's not a sign of partaking of his body in in blood. It's actually participating in the sufferings of Christ. And part of his divine nature is suffering. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. Coming to Christ doesn't mean that everything in life is gonna be rosy. As a matter of fact, it's usually an invitation to transforming fire. Whenever I get three prophetic words in a very short period of time, I start to get a little nervous because usually that means there's fire on the other side. I love prophetic words. I love when God speaks to people and then they have the courage to speak to me and it reveals something in me that I didn't know or something that I knew that I wasn't doing it because I was living in a lack of obedience. I still have a couple of those areas that I'm trying to work out. But I do know that when God is speaking repeatedly through prophetic words, that on the back end of that, he's gonna say, now I'm gonna come and I'm gonna refine you, refine your character so that you can walk that out with power and authority. We love the idea of power and authority. Some of us, I think a lot of us, we like the idea of it, but we don't necessarily like the process that gets us to there. Jesus was not glorified until he perfected, meaning he fulfilled the concept of obedience through his suffering. That's what the word says. And then he's glorified. If that's the way that it works for him, oh, it's going to work that way for us too. And so I want us to start thinking when we we start thinking about what is my story? When you say yes to Jesus, the old man dies and now you are a co-laborer. You are in a business partnership. You are in a family partnership. You are... A co-heir with Jesus you are a participator in his divine nature and this is how we see this process because early in Jesus ministry he said I am the light of the world then later on he told his disciples you are the light of the world and we're still expecting him to be the light of the world when he said no wait now you're the light of the world go be light a city on a hill cannot be hidden who's the city that's you the significance of a city on a hill that can't be hidden in that day is, you know, people that are traveling in the dark, people that have they're, they've been on their feet all day, or riding a donkey, and they're they're maybe they're parched, they're dry, they're looking for the next place to stay, and suddenly on the hill they see a light, and they realize that's the place where i want to go that's you are you the space where people want to go when they're feeling dry when they're feeling parched when they're feeling weak when they're feeling depressed when when thick darkness has come over their lives are you the light that they want to run to the answer is yes are you living that out are you manifesting that right now maybe not but it's in you because he's in you. Christ in you is the hope of the revelation of the glory of God. Therefore, you are the light of the world. That's why sometimes new believers are the best evangelists because they don't, they've never heard decently in an order. or They don't, they don't have all the conventions of, of religious history to deal with. They're just like, hey, I'm on the i am I'm gonna go tell this person about Jesus. I knew one guy, I'm not saying to do this, But he stood on his desk in his work. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something like, do you know that if you don't accept Jesus today, you're going to go to hell? (laughs) Maybe not the best way to evangelize because Romans 2 says his kindness leads people to repentance. But sometimes, you know, the best evangelists are the people that just don't know better because... We want to mature, but sometimes in our maturity, the blade of our life gets dull. We get a been there, done that attitude. Some of the most difficult people to move are people that have had a taste of revival, but we're never overtaken by the reviver. And so how do you go from a, a sedentary space of of lifelessness to vibrant living. Well, you're here. That's a good start. Because the reality is the word still says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And he will always say that. You know, people every five years are talking about new wineskins and this and that, or new paradigms, or, you know, it's new, 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 new. The reality is that God has been moving through congregations of people for 2,000 years. And people will say, well, the early church didn't have buildings, so most of those meetings started in synagogues. And when they outgrew their homes, they had to go find some other place to meet. And I'm not anti-house church movement. I've been in nations, I've been in cities where the church was literally run by house churches in, in other nations. I'm all, I'm all for that. But I'm just saying that in whatever mode, whatever structure that you have, that you believe the Lord has called you to, have a vision for your city. Have a vision for your region. Have a, vis- a vision for your culture. We want to be at the center of a sovereign move of God that awakens, revives, renews, transforms, and reforms this region, this nation, our culture. We want to see people in all the spheres of culture bringing transformation from the bottom up, the top down, However, it works. I don't care if you're working in the mailroom or you're working in the boardroom, it's Christ in you that is the hope of the revelation of the glory of God on earth. I was talking to someone this week who's, you know, they had this boss that was uh, leaving their job. They were going to be replaced. They, they were voluntarily leaving. They weren't being fired. They were just like, I'm going to move on. And they really didn't like this boss. You know, he swore a lot, dropped F bombs everywhere. It just wasn't a great situation. He was sort of, you know, an alpha male kind of guy, and you know, whatever. And then at some point, he decided to stay, and she was really mad. I can't believe he's gonna stay. He's gonna stay. I can't believe this. What am I gonna do? How many people here have a boss you don't like? Jeremy and Greta better not raise their hands. <laughs> And then something interesting happened. He he got a little bit injured. So this woman was prompted to pray for him. And not only that, her boss that was between her and this boss is a believer. And that lady went in and said, hey, you know, you should really pray. And the guy's like, what the heck? This woman over here just said I should pray. Now you're here, but... Now there's five people in that office that are praying for this dude. Sometimes God will keep someone in your life because you are called to be the agent of change in their lives. Isn't that fun? Find the hardest looking person in your life and go speak life to them and watch what God does. Man, so so often those hard exteriors... They're masks for massive insecurity. They're masks for trauma and pain, fatherlessness, orphan. Mentalities or orphaned spirits and that their being, their spirit is just waiting for someone who is carrying the king of glory, who is recognizing that, oh, I'm the ark of the new covenant. I carry that glory. I carry the word that became flesh and walked among us. I carry him. I'm a, not just a partaker of, an occasional partaker of his divine nature, but I participate in his divine nature day by day. I'm from this household of royalty and in the same way that he's extended his scepter of justice to me I'm extending a scepter of grace to you feel the light that is proceeding from my heart experience the life that is exploding from my belly and watch the goodness of God wash over your face forcefully just like it did for Moses you don't have to say all of that You can do that just by looking in their eyes. You want to make someone uncomfortable who's in pain? Look in their eyes with eyes of love. I was that guy once. I was in a dark night of the soul. Just felt completely stripped, completely empty. Everything that I had fashioned my identity around was stripped away. And this dude walked into my workplace just a fire-filled, revival-filled believer. And he came and he just locked eyes with with, with me and it melted me. And I wish I could say I was completely transformed in that moment. I wasn't, but it was a significant significant encounter with Christ and him that was the hope of glory. It doesn't have to be you know, an angel on your shoulder giving you their phone number or their mom's maiden name or or, any kind of strange prophetic revelation. And I'm okay with all of that. But I'm just saying there's nothing greater than the love that is in you to impact a hurting world. So how do you get there? <clears throat> why do we worship on a Sunday morning? Why do we do this musical stuff and all this? We sing songs and you know we go into spontaneous songs sometimes and you know we always plan for 30 minutes, but it usually goes 45 or more. And why do we do that? Because we recognize that we are called to cultivate focused times of worship. And if <clears throat> the only time that you worship is on a Sunday morning like that, you're missing the boat you're missing the boat. And I've heard people talk, you know, we talk all around worship. And yes, you worship God with your work. You worship God. There's a lifestyle of worship that we lead, but I'm talking about cultivating focused times of worship so that when you come into the corporate worship environment, now you're a worship leader. Like, you might be tone deaf, you might never be behind a mic, but you can cultivate an atmosphere around you that will become the place of safety for someone else to be drawn into the atmosphere of worship that you carry. I've seen it over and over again. I've experienced it. And I do believe you, we worship with our work, and we worship with our lifestyle, we worship when we're at a restaurant, like we live this lifestyle of worship, but In these corporate times of worship, I've seen people receive Jesus just in the midst of the sound. No altar call, no message. I've I've literally seen time and time again, people receive physical healing just in the atmosphere of worship. To this day, at least for me, I have not seen someone come to Jesus just because I was working diligently at my desk. It's not, I'm not, it's still valid. But there is something about the moment where we strip all other things away and we collectively turn our faces toward him and we declare that he is God over all the earth. We declare that he is good. Something is released. He comes riding on the cloud of the sound of that we release and when he comes riding on that cloud sometimes you can feel it even the molecules of the atmosphere begin to crackle they begin to quicken it's like the, the actual temperature of the room begins to elevate because his glory is entering the room and when his glory enters the room like that, that's why the intercessors started buzzing and getting a little, just a little bit nutty. It wasn't even, look, like, I've seen nutty times. Like, we're nowhere near that, but we're, I'm telling you, if you were uncomfortable with anything that happened this morning, wait till he drops a glory bomb in the room. But that's what, you know, there's always, we used to call them canaries. Because back in the day, you know, if you were a miner, they they would have these canaries. They put them on their shoulder because the canaries were more uh, sensitive to methane gas and and noxious gases than humans were. So if the canary passed out, you knew, oh, wait a second, the atmosphere is changing. It might seem a little irreverent to call people canaries, but I I watch and I listen because I'm not really a manifester. But when I know that there's a, a group of people, and oftentimes it's the intercessors that start buzzing, In a moment, I pay attention to that because I realize, okay, the atmosphere is shifting. This is one of the ways every joint supplies. And so when you are even alone and you enter in and you start cultivating these focused times of worship, and it doesn't always have to be a song. I was a, a musical worship leader for, I don't know, like 20 years. And so oftentimes in my own personal time, I didn't use music because sometimes it was hard for me to step outside of the craft of music. Or, you know, if I'm singing spontaneously, I'm like, oh, that's a great song, I should write it down. There was one time I was doing that It was the first year my wife and I were married. I had stepped down from leading worship and just went into a season where I just sat in our little 10 by 10 room in our 900 square foot apartment condo and I would just sing spontaneously to the Lord. And I, I played this one thing and I was like, oh man, that was really good. Sometimes I say that to God. I was like, oh, that was really good, wasn't it? So I stopped and I started to write it down and the Holy Spirit dropped a bomb on me and he said, stop. I want you to be satisfied in knowing that I am the only one who will ever hear that song. I went, oh, that's why I stepped down. It's so easy, whether you're, whatever it is that you're doing, to stop doing it for him and start doing it for you. It's so easy. But if you want to be effective, effective, you do it for him The cultivating focused times of worship in your life will increase your awareness of his presence, awareness of his nature and awareness of his character. And so there are times where I just sit in my chair, you know, it's it's the old man dad chair. It's got a cover on it because it's all torn up and you know Deb the other day was talking about replacing it. I was like you cannot replace my chair. It's my chair. It's my revelatory chair. It's my spiritual throne. (laughs) I'll just sit there and be like, God, I ascribe to you all the glory, all the power, all the riches, dominion, and strength. Oh, you are the image of the invisible God. You are the firstborn of all creation. You have dispensed all of your divine power, and you've given me the ability to walk this thing out, this life with godliness, God. Oh, you have baptized me in fire. I've been baptized in water. And God, would you do it again? Would you just bring a fresh baptism of your fire, of your oil, of your love upon me, oh God? Lord, I want to be to the of your glory Jesus you are seated in heavenly places right now and there's thunders and lightnings proceeding from your from your throne there's fire in your eyes which it's not just passion for me it's passion for your bride Jesus in all grace and mercy would you step into this room would you step into New England God and would you shake the ground with the sound of revival God we dig the wells but would you return would you descend again in your manifest presence God and I'm not afraid to ask for that shekinah i want that tangible moment that tangible movement where the unseen realm appears in the scene because that's where your glory is known god i don't want to just have knowledge of your glory i want to have the experience of your glory because you're so good when you're so good and your goodness manifests god it will cause faces to turn to you let the generations come i call to the north i call to the south i call to the east I call to the West, come, 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 come to the mercy seat. His grace is sufficient. His mercies are new. And I could go for hours like that. I can go for hours like that. And if you find yourself running out of words, you pray, God, I ask that you would expand my vocabulary to bring glory to you, to participate with Jesus in the kingdom come, in the will being done on earth as it is in heaven, with confidence, with boldness, by faith, oh God. And watch how he expands your vocabulary. I watch sometimes where I just you know Jeremy will say just lift your sound and we give it a good minute. It's a good American worship moment. But I want to prepare you for eternity. I want I want you guys to pursue him so aggressively in worship that you make me so uncomfortable with the idea of transitioning the service. I have a love-hate relationship with transitions because I'm a worshiper and I know what he can do just in worship, but I also know what he can do with the word. Cultivating focused times of worship will allow you to see yourself as he sees you. Do you want to know who you are? Sometimes when you get into his glory, it magnifies some of the weak spaces in your life. That's to bring you to repentance. Romans 8.1 says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's not, about con- it's not about condemnation. It's about illuminating who he is and who you are so that you can see the difference, but then trust in him that he will make who you are the way that he wants you to be walk toward my face and be blameless that's what he said to, A- to abram and it wasn't like walk in front of me and work really hard to be blameless if you read the hebrew again what he's saying is walk toward the skin of my face and you imperatively will be blameless, not because of who you are, but because of who I am. That's the thread. This is why I said that about the woman caught in adultery, because we see that thread throughout Scripture, that as we approach God, his transforming power comes upon us, and we can never live life the same way again. You cannot hold on to the old man and still be looking upon his face. In the heart of the Father, you will always find the power of your potential. He is dreaming for you more than you dream for yourself. Except his dreams for you are alive on a timeline that you haven't stepped into yet. It's the mystery of God. God just doesn't come up with a dream. He is seated high above all principality and power. He's seated in heavenly places. And the reason why he wants to seat you in that heavenly place with him is that he has divine perspective on your life. The author and the finisher of the faith, the alpha and the omega, he sees you at the omega, even though you're still at alpha. So his dream for you, you've got to understand it is fully manifest on a timeline that you haven't walked into yet. It's the mystery of an eternal God who is inserting himself in a manifest reality of our present time. Walk with him and you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let's stand together. I wanna read some things over you. Now, I want to call the ministry team up. And I believe we do have ministry rooms today. Do we have ministry rooms today? Yes? No? No ministry room. No online ministry rooms today, just in-house. So if you're local, you still got time to drive, we'll still pray for you. So I want you just to bow your heads and close your eyes and receive the word of the Lord over you right now. 1 Corinthians 3.8 says, we are God's fellow workers. Matthew 5.14 says, you are the light of the world. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 1, 1.3 continues the theme of the blessing of God on your life. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing right now. Zephaniah 3.17, even before the cross, says, God delights in you. And 1 Peter 2 9 says you are a chosen people you are a royal priesthood you are a holy nation God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light and the writer in Psalm eighteen thirty five said that God's help made him great God, I want to be great, but would you would you come and help me? I want to write that psalm too. Your help made me great. You can do above and beyond anything that I could ever ask or think. closed and just allow His presence to overflow you and saturate you right now. Sometimes one of the hardest things to do is to come back to Him when you've disattached yourself from Him. You don't have to wait like the prodigal son did till you lose everything. You don't have to wait to come back. You can come You can come as you are, but he's not going to leave you as you are. He is faithful. He is just to forgive you as you confess to him. And he will transform you right here, right now. There's something in a surrendered life. There's such a freedom in a surrendered life. Would you surrender to him today fully? Because this region has need of you whether you're online or you're in-house today, let's just do business with God right now. I'm just gonna say a simple prayer. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. If you've never known Jesus, you know that you've not really been attached to him. You've been marking time. It's time to step in with two feet all the way all the way in and allow him not just to meet you in the place of your strength but to meet you in the place of your pain to bring healing and restoration to you today so say this prayer after me God I want to know you and I accept your gift of life to me I accept Jesus' death and his resurrection from death that reverse the curse of sin and death in my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I turn from my way and I turn to your way. Please reveal your love to me now and I will follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for hearing me and honoring my request. In Jesus' name. Now Holy Spirit I ask that you would come that you would breathe upon each one in this room. God that you would release a fresh baptism of your fire, a fresh baptism of your glory, a fresh baptism of your love. That you would fully involve our beings in your nature, in your fire right now. Fire of God fall in this room. Fire of God fall in this room. Fire of God fall in this room. I declare, I decree, I proclaim that you will never be the same and I loose every hindering spirit from you every demonic entity every deceptive spirit every spirit of infirmity I cast you out of this place and I release now upon you the divine nature of the living God his love is coming upon you now his oil is coming upon you now his life is rising up in you now receive him just say yes yield to him, yield to him step in, even right now, take a physical step and step into his glory, step into his life, a life of obedience, a life of standing inside the sacred space of the name Jesus. Oh, what joy is before you. Oh, what victory is coming upon you. Even in times of grieving, even in times of difficulty, the joy of the Lord now, now, now is your strength. Oh, Let it bubble up. Let it bubble up. Let it bubble up. Let it bubble up. The breaker anointing is coming upon you right now. Oh, shake off those chains. Shake off those hindrances. Oh, the old is gone. The new has come. He says to you right now, Behold, I make all now lift your voice in this place call upon the name of the Lord it's your sound before his throne your sound before his throne great is the Lord and greatly to be praised great is the Lord and greatly to be praised all of filled with your glory and the knowledge of the glory of God is covering your life right now just like it covers over the seas everything is about to change everything is about to change the way that you see the way that you walk the way that you feel oh the old man is gone the new has come the new has come shake it off shake off those chains Shake it off! Step into freedom! 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 Hey! Hey! Yes, the Pass you by just lean in just lean into this moment lean into this moment lean into this moment thank you for listening to this message from the bridge metro west in natick massachusetts Paul David Gidgery is the Senior Pastor at The Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.